So once again, good morning. If you have Bibles with you, it's always a good idea, um, whether a printed version or something on your phone or a tablet would be great. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we are going to be this morning. We have a, we have a lovely screen just for today. Uh, it's called Growing. Can we see that uh, for today, that screen growing up? Yeah, there it is. So let me introduce this appropriately. Um, typically at The Rock, we, uh, we, at the end of the summer, every year for, it's just been a pattern since we planted the church 14 years ago, I would typically take two Sundays and um, just talk about the church and, and go through a mini-series about what it means to be the church, the church that Jesus had in mind. That's an important way of thinking about it. And uh, yeah, it's just, it was always a good idea, we felt, because it's a, a good reminder for those of us who are members of the Rock Church, regular attenders, you know, we, we need to be reminded sometimes, but also for new people who are visiting or new with us, is to get a little bit of an idea, okay, what do these people actually believe uh, about the church and how it should function? So that was usually the case, would be two weeks. Uh, this year, because our reflections in the Psalms was going rather well, people were really being encouraged with it. We kept going, and I finished last Sunday with Psalm 150, um, and uh, so this week we only get one week on the subject, which is, I feel, going to be enough because as we go into 1 Timothy next week, as you're going to see, all of the pastoral epistles really are about the church. In fact, the subtitle, I believe, is Life or Living in Our Father's House, which is the church. And so that's what we're looking at this, this, uh, this particular week. And uh, I'll also say this, that the Lord put this particular passage on my heart. It's a passage in uh, chapter 4 of Ephesians, verses 11 to 16, that has been, um, well, really instrumental in my life and walk with Christ, and especially as a pastor, as someone who felt called to full-time ministry. Because it was a revelation. Uh, I'd known it. I'd read it many, many times, like probably many of you have. And I never saw it for a number of years, maybe 20 years in my Christian walk, uh, as pertinent to the church specifically today. And yet, as I hope you will see, it's really powerful, and it really is about that. So let me read for you the verses 11 to 16, and then I'm going to pray one more time, and then we will dive in, okay? And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, again, Lord, as we prayed upstairs as a ministry team earlier, Oh, every Sunday, every day for that matter, but every Sunday we are so grateful to be here, to be able to be here. Um, we, we know, Lord, that we're, we're here today, um, those, those of us who are yours, but even those 
who maybe don't even know that yet, should realize this and hopefully will realize that, that we're here because you have called us. You've appointed this day, you've appointed this very moment and this, uh, this time together in worship and in word where we would be together. We would be praising you with our voices and with our hearts. We would be sitting under the teaching of your word and we would be allowing you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us. And uh, yeah, we just thank you. And we get to, get, get to be with each other in the body, uh, in-laws and outlaws sometimes, but we get to be with each other. Take this time at the first day of the week to separate ourselves from all the things that are going on in our lives, from this world around us that has its challenges for all of us. And so we just want to thank you and praise you that you've called us here today. And I pray more than anything else that, Holy Spirit, you would, uh, yeah, you would take whatever thoughts and words you've given to me and you would make them something helpful to all of us here this morning. And I do pray this in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So since the day we paint, uh, planted the Rock Church 14 years ago, this September 27th, that's our anniversary. That's pretty amazing. Um, this whole subject has been really a key. When we planted the church, I met with people and we used to have just uh, small groups that we were inviting people in to, to cast vision before we even launched our first service. And we spent a year to two just talking about what it looks like. And I told everybody at the time that when I arrived here anyway, my heart was, we're not coming here with a preconceived model. And I meant that. We weren't coming going, okay, the last church we went to, which was this church or that church or whatever, was like so good. Like, we're just going to replicate that in Squamish. That's not a terrible idea. But the idea was is that, no, we wanted as a group to go to the Word of God, to the Scriptures, find out what Jesus had in mind for ourselves. So we started in Acts 2.42 on the day that the... Church is actually born. After Peter preaches that amazing sermon, the Holy Spirit empowering him and everyone that's there, and the church is born. And three to 5,000 people are baptized immediately on that day, by the way. Check the scripture. In Jerusalem, in like fountains. And then, day by day, every day, they're getting together, praising God, breaking bread with each other, and going to the scriptures and having the apostles bring them all of the good news about Jesus. And the church flourished from that point on. So we began there. That was important. But also a really important passage for us was, of course, Matthew 16. Those of you who've been at The Rock for a long time, you know, that's how we got our name from Matthew 16, 18, right? It's after Jesus has asked the disciples at first, who do people say that I am? Right? It's like two and a half, maybe two years, pardon me, into the life and ministry of Jesus, and he's got these disciples following him, and, and there's people talking about him. Right? Who do people say that I am? And well, they say, well, they think you're Elijah, resurrected, or John the Baptist, resurrected, because he's been killed, and on and on it goes. And he's obviously not that, so he personalizes the question, though. And that's what I love about what he did, because it's the same personalizing, personalizing that he does for every one of you in this room, and he's done that for me. Because he asks the question, but who do you say that I am? Uh, good old Peter, of course. Yeah. He's removed his foot from his mouth because he has a bit of a problem with that sometimes. He just blurts out, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I think even, even he was a bit surprised that he said that. It's true, though. But Jesus reminds him at that point, says, Peter, that's, that is the correct answer. Good confession. Good. But by the way, you didn't come up with that all by yourself. 
No, my heavenly father, your heavenly father revealed that to you. And then Jesus says these words, which is where we uh, got our name from our church, but also I want to show you as part of our message for today. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says this to Peter. And I tell you, Peter, on this rock, Peter's name is Petra, and this is Petros, little rock, big rock, confession of faith. I will build my church. First time that the word ecclesia in the Greek is used in the New Testament, Jesus is using the word to say that he's going to build his church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So again, as I've said already, this is the key to where we got our name. Some people think, oh, well, it's because of the chief. Uh, You know, it's not a bad thought, you know, but no, it's because Jesus is the rock. And that's how we got the name for our church. But again, I want you to see the key words here. The key words are, Jesus said, I will build my church. So we remember, we looked at that for weeks. We're just like, okay. So that's important, and we've always looked at that. So I've shared for, with many of you uh, over the years, uh, some of them, my background, uh, having been raised Catholic in Toronto, you know, I was an altar boy, learned the Latin mass, rang the bells, woohoo, got the t-shirt. It was great for a time and a season. And I, and I had a pretty good idea when I came to faith in Christ what that institution looked like, the Catholic Church. But also along with that came a lot of questions, especially when I did come to faith at 23 in downtown Toronto. The Lord put two significant subjects on my heart, like at 23, like rock and roll drummer, long hair, got a haircut because I got saved, and uh, stopped doing all kinds of terrible things that I was doing. But he put two things on my heart, really, really put them on my heart. First was, okay, I have to figure out how this Protestant thing works. Because I'd never been in a Protestant church in my life. Got saved in one in downtown Toronto. Um, So that was very important at first. Secondly, what contributed to coming to to faith for me was going to this little church in downtown Toronto, and literally for the first time, I'm, I'm not being critical, but just saying, some guy got up, he was actually a Toronto policeman who was a guest speaker at this church, and he got up and he opened this. <laughs> it's called the Bible, right? And, and he read the parable of the sower who sows the seeds, right, which is Jesus, and he, he actually preached a sermon about it. Honestly, that's the first time I'd ever heard something like that. And then at the end of it, he gave the gospel. And I was like, uh-oh. So, so being a good Catholic and, you know, like going to church and checking the box and stuff like that, that doesn't get me in? No. <laughs> and I heard the gospel. And so it really, I'll tell you what, it blew my mind. At the time, it really blew my mind. And I, I decided then, or at least the Holy Spirit, I think, put it on my heart. I got to understand this. I really do. So I, in my 20s, I started buying commentaries. Like I started buying, I didn't know what to buy, but I started buying commentaries, like, you know, books that give you more of a, you know, understanding of what the scripture actually teaches. I bought lexicons on Greek and Hebrew, and I'm I'm like a twit. I don't know what's going on here, right? I learned Latin in high school, but this was new, okay? So I I start studying these things. That was approximately approximately 45 years ago. I know, I'm that old. (laughs) Don't anybody remind me. So fast forward, in my life anyway, approximately 20 years, And through another uh, really amazing series of uh, events that God brought into me, he took me from uh, around 40 years of age to a failed business venture 
or I lost a lot of money. I had to close our stereo stores in Vancouver. And he took me into full-time ministry in downtown Vancouver at Union Gospel Mission at about a fifth of the wage that I used to be making. That was fun. But that's where I felt called to go because of a friend that I had been building a relationship, and I went there. And that was first. Secondly, our little family, uh, Janice and myself and our two little boys at that time, Andrew and Matthew, moved to Walnut Grove, Langley. And the reason why we moved there was, well, first of all, we had sold our previous house to sell off and, and be able to pay off our debts from the business failure. And so my mom and dad and Janice's mom and dad helped us buy a house in Walnut Grove, which was great. Uh, but we also moved there for this reason, which was interesting. Uh, in that time, I had started preaching at my home church in Richmond, and it was going okay, right? And then uh, they started telling uh, elders and pastors at some other churches in Vancouver and the Lower Mainland, hey, you should, this, this young guy, he's, he's doing okay. You should invite him to preach because they wanted me to get some experience. And so I started an itinerant ministry, they call it, and preached in Vancouver, Lower Mainland, and ended up at a church in Langley several times where it was a... It was, a, it was a dying church. Um, the older men and women there were pretty conservative, <laughs> to say the least. And, but there were a group of, I don't know, 12, 14 young couples, uh, young men and women, pardon me, maybe six or seven couples, and they would take me out for lunch later, and they'd go, please, please help us. <laughs> right? And you know, Janice and I are praying about it. And so eventually we moved to Langley. We didn't realize at the time, but we actually started a home church. Didn't realize that's what we were doing. But for 18 months, what I did is I taught through a book called The Master's Plan for the Church, which is about church, uh, and led this young group of men and women to the point where they felt comfortable understanding church appropriately, that they could leave the more or less sect that they were part of and actually join a denominational church, which according to that sect pardon me, was like bad, because they have full-time paid pastors. And that's unbiblical, apparently. I'm unbiblical. But anyway. And so that's what we did. And, and it, was, it was really, really amazing. Now, fast forward 10 years later. Trust me, this will all make sense, I hope. Um, the Lord called me to full-time pastoral ministry in my early 50s and to be a church planter, which is how we ended up here. But during that time, I joined the, what would became the C2C Network, and for two to three years, what they generally put you through is a lot of assessment and a lot of training. And so I'm in my early 50s, and I'm like, okay, this is cool. Then I'm going to seminary at the same time to kind of upgrade my theology, make sure that I'm not dangerous, right? And, uh, but we, for two to three years in that group, every month would get together in Vancouver, and what would we, would we do? We would study the church. We would read everything we could about what it means to be the church that Jesus had in mind. So I got to tell you, we... We studied every model under the sun, this model, that model. And uh, the, the idea was, as we go and plant our churches, that we, we have some sort of foundation and grounding for what it should actually look like and why. And I'll, I'll tell you so from that, basically, we, we, we studied a lot of success stories, apparent success stories, and a lot of failures. And so the idea is when you go plant your church, you, you're going to at least have somewhere to go. Well, I got to tell you, when we came here, I, what I was grateful for was this. A lot of my preconceived assumptions before coming here were shot down. I really appreciated that, although it was a bit scary. <laughs> As this ex-businessman who is an entrepreneur who seems to think that he knows what he's doing. So what do we do? Well, we rely on the Holy Spirit and one another. What I learned was uh, a lot of the models that were out there, and I'm not trying to be critical because we're not perfect, okay? 
We're still trying to discover these things, which is why we're doing this today. Uh, But there were a lot of man-made models, a lot of like almost corporate models brought into the church. Some of you have seen that. I've seen that. And so, yeah, what I'm really grateful for at the end of the day is this. Remember the words that we just read? I remind myself, Janice reminds me of them all the time, when I'm worried about you and about our little church, Jesus' words, I will build my church. Not you, Peter, not you, Paul, definitely not you, Glenn. (laughs) I will build my church. How comforting should that be? Well, it is. But also then he said this, and by the way, the gates of hell, Hades, will not prevail against it. That is a promise. Amen? You're so with me, I can tell. Your sermon title for today is Growing Up. I'm hoping to show you three things today from this text. The goal of the church, I believe, is in this text. I will show that to you. Secondly, the giver of gifts. Well, who could that be? And thirdly, the growth of the body, which is the result of these first two things. So a little bit of context about our our passage here today. Uh, We're in Ephesians chapter 4. Amazing letter, amazing book. We've been through it before as a church. I mean, if you need to go to a book and you need encouragement about the Christian walk and the Christian life and how blessed you are in Christ, read Ephesians 1, like every day, all week. But the rest of it too, it's just so encouraging. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. Uh, Interestingly, Paul wrote this epistle, this letter to the church in Ephesus where Timothy already was about a year before he writes... First Timothy. Now, that's going to be interesting as we look at the introduction to that next week because he's got some really challenging words for Timothy as he opens it up. And so for many, um, yeah, it, it is, is a favorite letter. It's super encouraging. And uh, chapter 4 is that point, as we've seen before in, in most of the Pauline epistles, where Paul switches from doctrine, okay, this is doctrine. This, this is, these are the things that you should, if not must, believe about who God is and what he has done to duty, to how, how then we live out the Christian life. And so now he's at, at the crux. He's at the, the switch into that at this point in the letter. And this is then how then we should live. So chapter 4 begins and is highlighted by the reality of the unity that already exists in the Godhead. The Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit, go figure, are completely unified. Of course they are. They're perfect. They're fully unified. And yet, they're three distinct persons who submit to one another. It's a very, very interesting relationship. But there's unity there. And, and of course, unity is an incredibly important subject in our day and age. <laughs> uh, right? It is. It's, it's a very, very important subject. It's a little bit hard to achieve, is it not? I mean, just, I mean, if we just look at our world, I've been trying not to comment too much over the years as a pastor about politics, but just on the, the lack of unity there, it's like, you know, it's like, you know, 52% of people vote one way, you know, and then 48% the other way, and it's like, we're not unified here, right? And then it switches every four to eight years because we get, okay, that was bad, so we need to go, it, division in our world is what it is, And yet the truth is, and this is sad, that's true in the church too, or can be. It's not supposed to be. It's not supposed to be. 
We are supposed to be unified in the Spirit, with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and with one another. But it's a challenge. And so I'm hoping what you'll see today is that unity is important, but it's not the goal. Some people think it is. It's it's a means to the goal, for sure, or it's a byproduct, a healthy byproduct of the actual goal, but it's not the goal. Because also, as we're going to see today, diversity in the body of Christ is also important in the church. So point number one, here we go, the goal of the church. Verse 13, we're going to jump ahead a bit, says this, until, I think that's such an important word. We've been through this passage before when it comes to the gifts of God and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This word until is really there. It's in the Greek, and it means that all of the before, which we're going to look at in a minute, are are gifts that are given by Jesus to the church until the conclusion happens. I would suggest we're not there yet. So those gifts, in some particular ways, are for today. We all look at this, attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So let's look at that question. What then is the goal of the church that Jesus said he would build? Is it, and those of you who attend the rock regularly will know this, is it you faithfully attending Sunday gatherings every week, which we implore you to do. Is that the goal? No, it's not a bad idea, I'll say, but it's not the goal. Is it to get you convinced that you should faithfully join and attend a missional community group throughout the week? Is that the goal? No. (laughs) Again, not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. It's... uh, really about getting you to be committed to being part of a blood-bought family, isn't it? And learning what that looks like. So it's not a bad idea. What about discipleship? There's a huge word. There's an important thing. Is the goal of the church discipleship? Again, no, I don't think so. I don't think it is actually the goal of the church. These are all healthy byproducts, by the way, of the goal. They are healthy byproducts of the goal and key to Jesus building his church. So what is the goal, do you think? This is a pretty easy question because it's in the text. Is it still online? Yes, it is. The goal of the church is one word, maturity. The goal is maturity in the church, of the church. So that's what we're going to look at. We'll come back to it more in detail as we go through this. But listen, don't miss this. This is the the key, one of the key takeaways. There's probably two or three today. This goal of the church is all is about, listen, all of us in this room, all of us who are watching online or part of the Rock Church or part of any church for that matter, all of us together maturing. And along the way, acquiring unity and knowledge and love about who our great and awesome God is. So I've often read this passage, as I kind of alluded to, and thought that it's, it's, it's about different things. I've, I've often read it and said, well, this is about individually growing up and maturing, right? And it's not less than that. So don't miss that, because it, it kind of, yes. It, it has to be part of it, right? But then, again, if you look at the words in the whole passage, there's a lot of we, right? There's not a lot of you. 
And so that, that is an important thing, and, and, and I've read that. It, it's lot, not less, as I said, uh, but it's about the whole church together collectively achieving the goal of maturity, and again, together. Paul's telling us that the goal is that we mature as a body, one body in Christ. Again, you go back to the beginning of Ephesians 4. It's just repetitive, repetitive, we, one body, whole, in Christ. So that's the key takeaway at this point. He continues to make that very clear that maturity in the body is about growing up. And he does that in the next verse. Verse 14, he says, grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So Paul's famous for using a lot of metaphors, right? Like, it's, it's actually awesome, and Jesus did too, by the way. Um, and, and for some people, it's, it's maybe would argue that he's too often using metaphors. He's like, just plain English, please, right? But it's important. He, he's, these are word pictures. But his, his point here is that, honestly, listen, we can all be like children, we can all be. He's encouraging us to consider actually the parallels between how we are childlike and actually a better translation in the Greek, you're going to love this, would be the word infants, right? You know, need to be fed pablum, you know? Like, is, they, they still sell pablum today? I'm just, I don't know. Um, okay. Sure did in our day. It was a, it was a saver, I've got to tell you. But infants and, and is actually a good, and, and maturity. So that that point, listen, it's about the point, listen, when, when you think back to your own childhood, it's, it's that point, and this sometimes happens for men at 36, but it's at that point when you actually leave your mother and father's basement or your home, their home, and you actually get a job and you actually get your own apartment, you actually are able to look after yourself, you know, pay for your own rent, pay for your own bills, you, know, you don't have to hit mom and dad up when you're traveling with Europe and said, send money. Some people think that that's actually growing up and maturing. Well, okay, it's certainly part of the process. So that's the first metaphor, though, that he's using. Is just, like, let's look at a parallel between that, your own experience as a, as a child, as growing up into your teens, and then hopefully one day maturing as a man or as a woman in this world today. So let's have a look at that. Well... Let me ask you this. What does that look like for you, do you think? What did that look like? How about, listen, how about, let's parallel it now. How, uh, what does that look like when you first come to faith in Christ, right? When you first come to faith in Christ uh, and you're new to the faith, to the church and the body of Christ, what do you need? What do all of us need when that first happens? Well, I'll tell you what I needed, and I think all of you need. We need parents, <laughs> We need to be discipled by men and women who are further along in their faith or many times further along and older than ourselves to guide us, to feed us, <laughs> to say, no, 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 not this way. Yeah, no, that's not what it says. It says this. And to, to, to be parents to us. We need that. Why? Well, because if we're very honest, if we're very honest, again, paralleling when we're kids and Today, when we come to faith, some of you, that was many years ago. Hopefully, you've matured. <laughs> For some of you, that's not that long ago. But the reality is, is that we actually don't know how to properly feed ourselves or actually take care of ourselves in the body. And that's what Paul's getting at. I saw a tweet uh, in the last couple of weeks. I don't know what to call it anymore since they, it's become X. 
What is that? I don't know. I'm talking about Twitter, right? But I saw this tweet. Uh, it was uh, by a woman um, who I, I follow a little bit, a Christian woman, and she was responding to the argument. Um, I don't want to really get into it too deeply here. Um, I'm not at all, but she was the argument that young boys and girls at the age of six, seven, and eight should be able to decide certain things, dramatic things, about themselves at that age. And so she decided to do an experiment with her own uh, son and daughter that were 13 and 14, are 13 and 14 years of age. And she said, them, okay, here's, here's like a, a test. Imagine you have $200 each. I want you to go on to the local grocery store's website, and I want you to each pick out your, your own groceries uh, for the next week, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> she wanted to see how, how wise they were, how mature they would be, right? Just guess for a second what the boy picked out, okay? So let's pick on the boys, right? That's always fair, isn't it? Yeah, sugar, carbs, and more carbs. No vegetables. The daughter wasn't much best, not much better, but she was better. She had, you know, some lettuce in there, I think, right? Anyway, her whole point was just to show, like, look, we, we actually still have laws on the books that say that you need to be 16 to get a driver's license. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> 19 to drink alcohol, drink alcohol. None of us paid any attention to that. I don't know about you, but anyway, my generation was very rebellious. But we need these things. So the point is, Children do need direction. We need to humble ourselves. Some of us need to humble ourselves. So honestly, I hope we can all admit that when we're young, many things sound like really good ideas, right? Remember that? Do any of you ever remember saying to your parents at some point in time because you were begging them to let you, and you would say something like, well, come on, everyone else is going, or, or everyone else is doing it. My mother's favorite line, it just drives me crazy. She said, well, fine. Everybody's walking off a cliff. Are you going to follow them? Her point was, no, I'm not going to let you. But that's, that's what we think like when we're kids, right? So listen, the, the, the truth is, I'll confess to this. You, you just yourself deal with this in your own heart and mind today. When I was a kid, I was very much prone to peer pressure. Very much prone to peer pressure. Every wind of doctrine right? Every wave that washes down the road leading us to what? Well, the scripture says destruction. So you get it, right? Paul's point for you and I here today is we need to grow up and start down the road to maturity. So that's the goal. That's the goal. I'm still on that road. That's still my goal. And I want to encourage you today that should be our goal. So that, that, then, that then is the goal. So the question now has to be, well, how? How does that work? Well, first, we need to look to point number two, the giver of gifts. We're going to go back a few verses from our text today into verses 7 and 8 in Ephesians 4, where Paul wrote this. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Hmm. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. And look at this. He gave gifts to men. So earlier we considered the, the opening of chapter 4 and the subject of unity, which is important. But immediately following those words and before our text for today, Paul writes this. It's a brief section speaking about what Jesus accomplished on the cross. It's what it's actually speaking about. Um, and it, it's also, verse 8, by the way, is speaking. And the listener in that day, we always talk about this, the listener in that day, how they would have heard this, they would have heard it immediately and got, they would have understood what Jesus or what Paul was writing about. 
It's about the spoils of a victorious king in verse 8, the last part of what you might see on screen. When a king in those days was victorious in battle, he would plunder the opposing army, the enemy. He would plunder the enemy. And when he returned victorious, he would share gifts with the people, what he plundered. So Paul, of course, is applying this to Jesus, who also famously said, quoting the scroll from Isaiah, remember in Luke, I believe it is chapter 4, we'll see it on screen, when he preached the one and only sermon in his home synagogue, and then they had enough of him. (laughs) I'm glad you've allowed me to be here for 14 years. That's amazing. He said these words. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So we know that on the cross, Jesus defeated the enemy. Amen? He defeated Satan once and for all. He's doomed. It's done, right? He he accomplished that on the cross and in our place. But then also in the three days between his death, burial, and resurrection, we also know that he was in the grave, of course. And in that time, he descended to rescue those in the grave, and he ascended victorious, verse 8 then declares, That's also that the Lord Jesus, who was given all authority in heaven and on earth by his heavenly Father, he, look at the words here, he gives gifts to, actually the word should be men and women. It's the word in the Greek, anthropai. I know your translation probably says to men, but it should be translated and can be translated men and women. And I believe that's true in this context. So now back to verse 7 and look at what it says, the previous verse, because it's important. It says, Paul says, grace was given to, listen, each of you, every one of us. Now, this is not the saving grace that is given to you and I, the unmerited favor that is given to you and I when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because it's not about works like I was taught as a Catholic. It's about everything that Jesus has done. And so there's that grace. This is a different grace. This is the grace of gifts that Jesus is giving to us. And so that's also important. And he's given all of us these things so that we might do what with these gifts? Serve him and his church. So he is the giver of the gifts. Again, when we went through the series called Gifts of God, we went through, of course, the Holy Spirit gifts. Everyone always just goes to the Holy Spirit gifts and misses this passage. I did for many, many years. So that said, and it is a foundational thing, Paul says we need one more thing. One more thing in order to arrive at our goal of maturity. And he tells us this, we need mature leaders. We need mature leaders in the church. Verses 11 and 12 says this again, and he, Jesus, which is why I always say that because we just read about who the giver of gifts is, gave what? Gave apostles, small a, Prophets, small p, evangelists, pastors, which is the Latin word for shepherd, which is why we get the word pastor in our churches today. Pastors, shepherds, and teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So as I look back on those early days when I was trying to figure out personally uh, this thing called the Protestant Church, the Reformation and the Protestant Church versus the Catholic Church, 
um, and how it was struggled, struggled uh, pardon me, um, how it was structured, honestly, I struggled. Because, listen, as a Catholic, I knew this. I knew the structure, right? I knew the structure. It was the Pope. Okay, like he's chief and he's in charge, right? And then the, there are the cardinals. They always dress in red, right? And then there are the bishops and then there are the priests. And also they have nuns. But those are the... And it, it was very much a hierarchy in the Catholic Church and it is very much authoritative. And this might surprise you, but, you know, most Catholics then and to this day... Um, they see that structure as authoritative, and actually they, they give due respect to their leaders. They really do. Now, some of us might say that's blind respect, but regardless, they, they do give that kind of respect to those people in those roles. So later when I first learned about, and we're going to get into this in 1 Timothy 3, what elders and deacons are and how they are leaders in the church, and that's true, I never saw this passage taught. And that was very interesting. So that's why I wanted to look at it with you today, and that's why we've looked at it a lot. These are gifts that Jesus gives to the church, and that's why I emphasize that word until. Let me lean on that. Some people say, well, no more, no more apostles. Yeah, capital A apostles. Totally agree. There are no capital A apostles being given by Jesus to the church today. Amen. There are people preaching that something different, and that's not true. But small a apostolic gifting, let me, let me just pushy on that a little bit. Was Paul one of the 12? No. Was he called directly by Jesus into that role? Yes. Okay. So maybe a bit of a... How about Barnabas? Barnabas is listed as an apostle. So is Timothy, actually, in the New Testament. What kind of apostle? They're sent ones. That's what the word means. And they have a particular role, like Paul did. It's called planting churches. So they're catalyzers. They're initializers. Um, and they get things going. Prophets, the same thing. We know in 1 Corinthians 14, I believe it is, Paul is talking about it on a regular basis that there are women prophets in the church, not prophesying future events that are going to come true. That's not what they're doing. What are they doing? Boldly proclaiming what the Word of God already says. That's a prophetic gifting today. It's a small p prophetic gifting. We have evangelists. Yes, amen. <laughs> and we have pastors, shepherds, and teachers. So don't overlook those things. They're, they're actually really important. So let me ask you, let me, I, I want to share some research I did with you. If you, were to, if you were to go, and this is to get to the point about this authoritative thing, which I feel is important today, if you were to do some research on the establishment of some of the most prestigious universities in the world, Oxford and Cambridge in England, you know what you would find? You would find that they were established in the 12th century. <laughs> 800 years ago, and they're still going, but they're not the same. When they were established, they were established by Christian missionaries, clergy, and theologians. The same is true in the 16th and 17th century with Harvard, Princeton, and Yale. Christian theologians and ministers established those universities. What was their course load? What were the main courses of study in those days? We call it today classical education. What did they learn in universities in those days? You're going to love this. Latin. I did as a boy in, uh, for five years at St. jean Brebeuf in, in you know, porcus a um. It's one of the only things I can remember. That's pig for male, uh, female, and plural. Porcus a um. Okay, never mind. And, you know, so, but Latin, Greek, okay, those were really important subjects. And also on top of that, math, sciences, arts, literature, and 
theology. It was called the queen of the sciences. Today, not so much. (laughs) You might, at most universities, run into a world religions class where you're taught about all of the various religions in the world and pluralism and why we should all get along. The pluses and the minuses, and we don't want to decide for you, so very, unless you go to a seminary or a Bible college, and even then these days, it's becoming a bit sketchy, (laughs) right? But today, here's my point. There are people who are in these universities today and other universities today who hold PhDs, in some cases, multiple PhDs, and they, in our world today, are given due respect. Pastors, theologians, preachers, Teachers, not so much. Pretty low down on the food chain when it comes to respect and authority in our world and culture today. You do realize that, right? Here's the problem. That can be the same in the church. So why do I highlight this? Well, sadly, that can be true. The Lord Jesus is giving gifted men and women who are not perfect. Hello? Who are not perfect to the church to help all of us grow and mature in our faith in Christ. Might sound a little self-serving. I understand. I understand. But it's important that we actually understand that and honor that. So during our Disciple mini-series a couple of months ago, I asked you all this question. I asked this. How do you identify yourself to other people when you meet them? Hi, my name is so-and-so. Oh, yeah, 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 I'm a, I'm a doctor, lawyer, dentist, a construction worker, whatever, right? That's typically how we do that. And I, I challenge people that time. Do you ever walk up to people the first time they say hello to you at a party, whatever it is, and go, yeah, oh, yeah, well, yeah, my name's Glenn. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen? Hello? <laughs> and, you know, most of you went, oh, is he talking? So we, we looked into that word, disciple, because I suggested to you it's actually a, a more accurate and a good word for you to think of yourself as identifying as than Christian, because that can, you know, have all kinds of things. And so what do most people think a, a, a disciple is? Well, they think it is a follower of Jesus. Not a bad idea, because it is to a certain extent, but it's not the true definition of that word. The true definition of that word is a learner. A learner of the way of Jesus. How do you learn the way of Jesus? Well, you learn by reading this. And if you're new in the faith, you learn it by being here and listening to those who preach it and teach it and guide you. And you learn it in missional community group from your brothers and sisters who are discipling you and farther along from you in the faith. By the way, it's a lifelong education. It's a lifelong education and a maturing process that Jesus has called us all to. He has given us his grace to help us, gifted leaders as well. So my encouragement to you is let's be faithful and let's be humble <laughs> with one another, right? And, and become these really good leaders. So learners, we, we have the goal and we have much of the how. What about the result? What will the result be? Well, verse 16 and our third point, the growth of the body. And I'll close with this. From whom? Look at these words. The whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, (laughs) makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I've often said this, that this passage, verses 11 to 16, are every pastor's job description. 
every one of those gifted individuals' job description. And you know what the goal actually should be, a sub-goal for every one of the people in that role, is to eventually work themselves out of a job. Because you all are becoming mature. (laughs) How do you think that's going? It's a lot of job security in pastoral ministry these days. Go figure. Go figure, right? But that really is what it is. So look at every word just briefly with me. Whole body. So this doesn't just mean that our bodies are healthy and whole. Yeah, it does. It means about the whole body, all of us together. We have a head who is Jesus. Our head is perfect. He's mature. He's righteous. He's holy. His body, Paul is teaching us, needs to grow up and match his stature. When we leave here today and even today, we represent him to this dying world. His body needs to grow up, as I said. We do that by, look at what's here, being joined and held together. Hmm. (laughs) Faithfully attending Sunday gatherings, missional community groups, being together, being together as the body, joined, held together. By whom? By the Holy Spirit, by each other. Hey, hey, I missed you. Where were you? Yeah, can we have a coffee? Because, yeah, I missed you. Let's get together. Joined and held together, really important. But also, listen, look again. This body is equipped by every joint. So let me ask you this. Have any of you ever had a separated shoulder? Hmm. A knee that's out of joint? A finger? A pinky? How does it impact the, the function of your whole body? A lot. This body is equipped by every joint. And when a joint is out of place, when a joint is missing, we all struggle in our growth and in our maturing as a church. Finally, when each part is working properly, this is speaking, by the way, of function and being in place, that then makes the body grow, building itself up in love. Again, as church planters, you know, often the time, you know, the, the conversation is about, yeah, you, know, you get together for a, a conference. Where you so, yeah, how many, how, many, how many people you got every Sunday? <clears throat> yeah, how about your giving? How's that going, right? And it, it's the wrong metric. Of course it is. They call it nickels and noses, right? Okay, it's bad. No. It's about how are we growing, how are we maturing in our walk in faith with Christ. Friends, this is the kind of church I want to suggest to you that Jesus had in mind. A healthy and mature church. I don't know of one that is fully there yet. I know some that are really, really close. That is my hope and prayer for us as a church. Going forward, this fall, that's my hope. My hope is that we would commit ourselves to him and to each other this fall season. My hope is that we would individually commit to growing up, maturing in our personal faith, and being healthy and being a full member of this body, this one small reflection of the body of Christ. Listen, let me just leave you with these words. Can you imagine what that would look like? Can you imagine? I can dream and I can imagine but I've, I've never fully been there yet. And some of that's on me. But I can imagine. And I can dream. And I pray you can too. Pray with me, would you?
Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit. Once again, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that in everything that we see from Genesis to Revelation and your word, that you are one. You are so perfectly in unity with one another in spirit and in word and in deed and in everything that you do. And Lord, we know, we know that's the goal. That's the, the goal of maturity will take us to that as your body, Lord Jesus. So Lord, I want to thank you for inviting us to be part of your body, to be, to be every sinew, every joint, every muscle, every limb in the body. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here, those lot watching online, those who will listen later. I, I just pray, Lord, that, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would catch, you would just fan the, the flames of fire of this vision that you have, Lord Jesus, for your church. Because this is how you build your church up in love. So yeah, I thank you. I want to thank you so much for my brothers and sisters here today. I thank you for all the gifted, gifted men and women that you've sent to this church. Lord, we pray, uh, Luke 10.2, every day at 10.02, that you would send more laborers into your harvest. Lord, we pray for more labors, labors, gifted, mature men and women in the faith who will help us, help all of us grow up and mature so that we can be one whole body. I pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your worthy name. Amen.